0: Fellow saints in the Lord, grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So in preparation for today's sermon, I I asked the internet a question. Uh, I asked the internet uh, what the average number of funerals a person might attend in their lives. And there's there's no uh, hard statistics that can be found on this, uh, but some people offered some educated guesses. One person guessed that in, in one person's lifetime, you might know about 50 people for whom you'd be willing to go to a funeral for. 50 people. Another person suggested that the frequency of funerals that you would attend... Um, grows exponentially the longer you live. So someone in their 20s would, by nature, then not see as many funerals or participate in as many funerals as someone who lives into their 80s or 90s. I found that interesting. I thought about that for myself, and I think that pastors kind of skew whatever those results might be. Since 2008, I've counted 37 funeral sermons that I have written and preached, not to mention those funerals that I have attended either here or away for family or for friends over the years. It's my guess that any one of us gathered here today has at least been to one funeral in their lifetime. And at any one of those funeral services, my guess is that you've probably overheard some things and made some observations of what's going on. You've probably overheard say overheard someone saying to the grieving family things like this. Well, at least they're in a better place. You've heard that? Or perhaps well, at least they didn't suffer. Yeah? Words like this are often said in an uncomfortable and an awkward time in attempts to offer comfort to the grieving. Let's be honest. The whole atmosphere of a visitation prior to a funeral is just awkward and uncomfortable. That's because in the room with you is a lifeless body laid out on display in an ornate box. They're dressed in a suit coat or a dress that you've probably seen them wear from time to time in your association with them. But now they're lying there perfectly still you look at their face and you see that they are wearing makeup to give them the appearance of blushing cheeks or, or of some sort of life. And then you'll hear someone inevitably say, oh, well, so-and-so looks pretty good. No, they don't. But it's an attempt to find something positive to say and to bring a sense of normalcy in this awkward and uncomfortable experience. I doubt that there are many people who actually really like to go to funerals. When you go to a funeral, you go because of those who are grieving. You go to show support and and to offer comfort to the family who is experiencing a loss. You go even out of a sense of, of duty or respect or those in mourning. But I tell you the truth, it's not the first place that you choose to go on a Friday evening or a Saturday morning. And why not? It's because funerals bring us face to face with the reality of death. And not just the death of a family member or of a close friend, but our own death. We are forced to face our own mortality. Attending a funeral brings death's sting to the forefront. So whether you have attended one or a hundred funerals, they serve to remind you that you just cannot escape the reality of death. Death. I tell you the truth, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. Death, contrary to the popular expression, is not just part of life. Death is an experience of our existence, but death is not part of life. Death is the antithesis of life. Death has no part with life just as light has no part with darkness death is part of our earthly experience and it is that way because it is brought about by sin now we weren't there to see adam and eve rebel against god but i tell you the truth we have all lived with those consequences that's what we see now every time we attend a funeral We are seeing the consequence of sin in this world. We see death. And we're forced to contemplate our own. But, brothers and sisters in Christ, the good news is that by faith, this is not all we see. God gives us graciously another picture. A not-yet-picture compared to the now reality that we endure. The picture that God gives is a beautiful picture of future glory. A picture that is filled with life and light. John receives this vision, or as we call it, this revelation. As he, and he writes it down according to the Lord's command. It's a wonderful vision full of symbolism and vivid imagery that oftentimes leaves us readers wondering what on earth is going on. Well, I'll tell you this, the short and the sweet answer is that the book of Revelation is a picture of Christ Jesus bringing his people out of the struggle of sin and death to rise with him and to live with him in the creation that he has made new. The book of Revelation is about Jesus and his work on our behalf. Now, the disciple John is the one who receives this revelation, this vision, so many years ago. He saw these things as plain as we are seeing one another today. And he wrote them down so that they could be preserved for the church throughout the ages and for you as you are gathered here to hear this again today. Here's the thing about John. John is an apostle who lived a long life. In fact, John is the only original disciple of Jesus who dies of old age. Now think about that. Think of the funerals that the apostle John had gone to in his 80 or so years. In the scriptures, we already know that he had been with Jesus in Bethany after the funeral of Lazarus, and presumably, John was there at Lazarus's second funeral. John had seen Jesus crucified and then buried, and on the third day, he went to the tomb, and he looked in, and that changed everything, for the tomb was empty. John had witnessed his brother uh, James be put to death, not to mention probably Peter, Paul, and the other disciples. John had seen his fair share of death. But here as he's in exile on the island of Patmos, John sees something different. He sees a vision of living People, body and soul, clothed in white robes. He looks closer and sees that these are people living from different places. Different places around the world, their robes are white, but the color of their skin is wide and varied. These people have clearly been gathered from the four corners of the world, from every tribe and tongue and nation. And in these living hands, they are waving palm branches in victory. Not national flags, but palm branches. In victory and and celebration. And from their lips, from their lips, John hears what they're celebrating as they cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a vision of life, of joy, of laughter, of light. In this vision, it's a true celebration of life. Well, who are these and from where have they come? Well, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, we read. They have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Well, what does that mean? It means these are those who have trusted in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. These are those who have believed that Jesus died our death and rose to life, that we also might live. These are those who are buried with Christ in baptism in a death like His so that they would live in newness of life, and await the resurrection like His. These are those who ate of the body and blood of Christ, and who awaited the fullness of the feast that was still yet to come. These are the saints who have gone before us. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your sons, your daughters, your husbands, your wives. These are those who live in Christ, though they have died, and yet live with the living Christ. It strikes me that, that, that in this vision, John is already seeing our loved ones are dearly departed in Christ and they are alive. They are alive because of Christ Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. The light who has overcome the darkness of sin and death. The Lamb of God who was slain but who lives and reigns. They are alive because Jesus suffered and died in their place and defeated death in His resurrection. In this vision, sin and death are no more. And God is physically dwelling with His people in the midst of His creation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. It increases our longing, for it is still a not-yet experience, but an experience that you and I will take part in as we live and as we die in faith to Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that helps us now as we see the effects of sin and death all around. That helps us now as we suffer trials and tribulations of various kinds. It helps us now as we weep and mourn over the separation caused by death and the broken state of this world. We hear Jesus' words again and they help us now because we believe what he says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And again, in this world you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. May the victory of Christ over your sin and death Be that which gives you comfort now and hope for what is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. In the peace of God which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.